welcome to Get With The Programme. I'm Holly. I'm Campbell. And this is TV for your ears. So find out all about the TV that the people who make TV love watching. Is that a job? Do people, like, is that people's jobs? They make TV. Yeah, they make TV. That's amazing. And if you are also finding this amazing, then uh, you should be applying for the network, which is our entry-level talent scheme that we run uh, as part of the Edinburgh TV Festival. And it is the best opportunity that you can get to kind of kickstart your career in TV and hopefully become one of these people who are making and chatting about TV. Um, If you want to find out a bit more about the scheme, then we're currently, right now, as this podcast is being released um, at Four Corners in uh, East London and we are having a week's residency there where we'll be doing lots of events and talks and exhibitions about getting into TV um, that you can come and visit in real life rather than just tweeting us or sending us an email. Um, we also run a more senior talent scheme called Ones to Watch, um, which this week's guest, Charlie, was on. Um, and that is for anyone who has been working in TV for more than three years and is just ready and raring to take that next step. And you can find out all the information that you need about both of the schemes at tvtalentschemes.co.uk. Uh, I had a great chat with Charlie and I think you will really enjoy it. Charlie is a scripted development AP at CPL Productions. and. What really comes across, I think, in this chat is how passionate Charlie is about great stories and stories from kind of every part of society um, and all over the country. And unfortunately for me, I had to cop to not ever having watched Buffy and I felt like it was a humiliating blind spot for me, but Charlie was very kind about it. Um, but we talk about, we cover a lot of ground actually in this one. It's it's, it's a really uh, fun hour, I think, that, that really flew by and I hope it flies by for you. I'm good, I'm good. It's great to see you and it will be fun to kind of, although not officially Desert Island Discs for intellectual property reasons, but get, <laughs> um, get a sense of some of the programmes that have made you the woman you are today mm-hmm. um, and have kind of shaped things for you. But cool. I suppose, in a way, it'd be useful to think about sort of television, your sort of first exposure to television when you were mm. young. What kind of role did television have in your house? I mean, quite... My mum cottoned on at an early age of mine that I'm quite happy to sit in front of the TV for hours and would be very quiet and still. So um, there was a lot of plonking me in front of the TV. <laughs> a Disney movie or whatever was on cbbc or whatever it was back in the days of only four channels so so kind of early 90s like early mid 90s yeah. i was born in 1990 okay so um i kind of feel quite lucky that i got kind of a really good golden age of kids drama yes um on itv and cbbc children's ward i want children's to say. ward and demon headmaster and yes. queen's nose um i loved the demon headmaster um, and I went back and watched a bit of The Queen's Nose the other day and these kids are so bratty but I love that show so much <laughs> they're so horrible to each other the way the kids talk to each other I don't think anyone would get away with putting that I on I love the way you're saying it as if that was really them they were just throwing it Do you think I they'd... really liked all the characters I remember being really quite passionately a fan of all those characters but they were horrible to each other <laughs> I wonder if that's children sometimes Possibly. children can be quite Cruel. I don't think the children are that cruel to each other in kids' TV now. No, because I think that would be a bad example. <laughs> yeah. 
but back in the 90s playing fast and loose and role models um yeah so i really loved all that stuff and then when i was a bit older we got like the american channels through sky so watched a lot of like nickelodeon okay. stuff people getting gunged and really like american 90s american stuff like keenan and kel yes um and throughout my entire like growing up, there's always been rumours that one of them's dead. They're, they're both very much alive. They are. It's something I like to check in with once in a while. Yeah. I think, in a way, people... Just the very fact that Kel isn't on Saturday Night Live yeah. means that, therefore, the, the payoff is... Yeah. If one was in this world, the other one must be dead. Yeah. But I, I believe he's alive. Yeah. But obviously not doing as well. But Keenan's fine. Keenan's fine. <laughs> Keenan, I think, has been there coming up probably like the longest. Yeah, I think anyone. he might be nearly the longest yeah. one. But he keeps doing good work. So. He does. He's good. He's very good. It must be hard to leave somewhere like that. Yeah. I think you either go, most people go after a couple of seasons, oh. or they're there for a long time. That's true. And so, in a way, things like that would have been more sort of sketch-oriented. Was Yeah. I mean, generally, I've never, I never go stuff, like, I've never liked stuff that's too serious. Um, even though I do work in comedy and drama, it always sort of ends up at the sort of warmer, lighter end of drama, just because I think that's the most true to life thing. So it's... I think it's true. I think as I get older, when I watch things, if there is a drama that has not even one moment of levity, yeah, it starts to ring false. Because yeah. I think even in terrible, terrible situations, there'll be that little valve you make a joke i think certainly in this country absolutely it's part of our dna to a bleak time so that's something i've noticed yeah i can't i just don't get home from work and want to watch three hours of really bleak tv (laughs) so it's it's a lot of comedy my parents have always been really into comedy stuff so i watched a lot of comedy before i probably should have done when i was little like i saw they really liked vic and bob the Fast Show, yeah. Blackadder, so all that stuff's quite kind of firmly in my brain as part of my growing up. Do you remember seeing Vic Bob for the first time and what did you make of I it? I remember shooting stars and the dove from above and them calling it down. That's like my dad's favourite bit. <laughs> <laughs> he still will quote that now. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I would have loved to you would have had an opportunity to see it as, as, a, as a child yeah. and sort of see it through a child's eyes. Uh, but it's such a brilliantly realised world that's yeah. almost impossible to explain. I think it was just absolutely... I remember thinking it was quite bonkers and not having a clue what was happening, but then I don't think grown-ups watching it had a clue what was happening or, involved, in fact, the people involved with it. So I just remember it being quite brightly coloured and fun and two silly men sort of charging about a bit. Um... So, so yeah, I think that was quite, there's a lot of that sort of things. And then as I got a bit older, I got really into comedy, stuff like The League of Gentlemen, The Mighty Boosh. That was quite a big thing for me as like a, in my middle teens. Coming from a radio background as well, both of those. Yeah, I think I found them originally coming through the TV, but then went back and found the radio stuff and, um... As you know, I'm quite a fangirl of pretty much anything I can get my hands on. So it was all, that's all my kind of early rooting in being an absolute nerd, comedy nerd is 
I loved The League of Gentlemen and The Mighty Boosh and I went and saw them on tour and I knew all the words and I'd watch the DVDs with the commentary turned on <laughs> and um, I'm so excited there's a new League of Gentlemen coming soon. It seemed like a real surprise. It's a real thing that's happening. I felt it to me it was when Beyonce sort of drops an album. Yeah, it basically is like that. It, felt, it was inside number nine and it yeah. felt like oh they're all doing stuff, they're all really busy yeah. and then boom. It's so exciting that's i'm most excited for that at christmas <laughs> this new league of gentlemen so is it a special will it be a series three specials. three specials they're filming it like right now and they keep tweaking like little little nuggets of information i've seen like bits i've seen dressing rooms yeah of signs and i think and... lots of people are i think obviously when they made the series originally there was you know twitter or anything but now obviously everyone knows where they film it so they're all there taking pictures so i know that there's a lot of spoilers on the internet and I can't not go on Twitter because I'm very addicted, but I'm desperately trying to just stay away <laughs> from any gentleman spoilers. You could mute, you could mute the I word. Could. I could. And then you won't also hear about football or anything that gentlemen have been up to. Yeah, which actually I'd be okay which, with. Which I think really would, okay yeah. with. That. <laughs> I feel like that's a Venn diagram that would work. Um, but then I am interested in t- tweets about the gentleman from Buffy. You know the creepy um, guy, the like guys with the white heads who'd like glide. Really scary. I have something to admit. Oh my god! And <laughs> this isn't about me because we're getting to your blind spot later. I have quite a few big blind spots, and one that I'm acutely aware of is wrong. And I have lots of close friends who are just like, "Come on, Buffy is one." Whoa! I have a glancing working knowledge. I know who some of the characters are, but I have maybe seen two to three episodes in their entirety oh, back have you seen when the it was a big episode? No, Sorry, I'm a, but I know that I know I know that I know that it exists. I mean, there's a spectrum of you could go to the Amazon and meet a tribes person, and you'd have to start with TV, and then explain what Buffy is. And I'm somewhere in the middle, so I, I, I know what it is. Okay, I can name you some actors, but again, this isn't about me. But you were you were using Buffy as an the analogy. Gentleman. Yeah, the, the gentleman. gentleman. Anyone that's seen Buffy, who will be screaming when they hear this. The gentleman, are pro- for me, they're definitely the creepiest thing Buffy ever did. Um, but I'm quite I'm into I'm interested in tweets about them, so <laughs> I wouldn't want to mute the word gentleman entirely. But that's that's that's. Can't funny. believe you haven't seen Buffy. Is this have I derailed it it's early? Just, yeah, I mean, yeah. I would <laughs> very quickly like to hear a quick pitch from you as to why I should watch Buffy. I mean, since Buffy's been on, there's been a million shows about vampires and supernatural. But rewind back 50 or so years, whenever it started, there wasn't any of that. And it was amazing. And she was amazing. And it was witty and quick and blurred the lines between good and evil. And it had everything. It had romance. It had women kicking butt. It had magic and lesbians and so many great things. So would it be right to say... It's about vampires, but it's not really about vampires. Yeah. The vampires, it's not it, really that's about like, vampires. Yeah, in the way that, you know, I don't know, Mad Men's not really about advertising. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, those are some of the programs you watched as you were growing up. Yeah. Can you think of a program amongst all of those that may sort of flip that switch inside you where you thought, actually, I would like to be involved in making this? Yeah. Like, so. I was just pretty obsessed with League Gentlemen, which meant that I was busy consuming everything that involved any of them. And I was about 15, 2005, 
Doctor Who came back and Mark Gatiss was writing on New Doctor Who. So I was like, I'm going to watch this. And my mum was like, Doctor Who, you're going to love this. And she was right, I absolutely did, and got very obsessed with it in that special way that 15-year-old girls do get very obsessed with things. Um, and it was just so smart and warm and fun and worked for kids, but also worked for adults and exciting. And there wasn't really anything else like that at that time coming from Britain. Um, and I was like, oh, I wanna, I wanna make that. That's amazing, I wanna work in TV. Up until that point, it had been very much like, I'm going to be a film director. <laughs> um, and which, from the time, about when I was 11, I was like, film director, yeah. Um, but then suddenly I was like, TV, ah. I still kind of wanted to direct, but I didn't really know, I came from a tiny town in Dorset, there's not really anything going on there, um, film and TV wise, so I, and I didn't know anyone that worked in film and TV, so suddenly this show came along and I was like, oh, and there was so much about how it was made, like there was Doctor Who Confidential and books came out, so I could know everything about how it was made and that was really exciting and interesting. I think Doctor Who Confidential is responsible, I think, for a lot of people yeah, getting so. that sense of, even if they weren't necessarily the hugest Doctor yeah. Who fans, it was one of the few programmes that demystified the process and we often hear people saying, oh, that was the moment for me yeah. when I sort of understood how these things were put together a bit more and that there were more roles and jobs yeah. involved than just simply the people we were seeing on screen yeah. and perhaps the writer no, and the director. Do you remember thinking at that point, you'd obviously been thinking about directing, looking back now, do you think you had an accurate, accurate view of what directing was or entailed? Um, I think I thought directors had more power than they actually do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, th I don't know, I don't think I had quite... I think they were, I think my, in my head, directors were like, what directors do, but also the producer and stuff. So I think actually, what I probably really wanted to do was really hands-on producing. Yes. Which is still, still true. <laughs> it is true. Um, but I sort of learned a bit more about that from Doctor Who Confidential, and then I started, that was about the time I started making short films in school and stuff. So I learned a bit more, even more about that sort of thing. Were you making those with friends, or was that part of school work? Mm, I mean, I did a bit myself. There's one that we did that was funded by First Light Films, which is was the film council's sort of youth programme. It's now called Get Into Film, I think. Um, and they gave us some money, quite a big chunk of money, especially when you're moving <laughs> to make a short film. And it was co-funded by um, the Wellcome Trust, who are a science charity. Yes. And we made a film about DNA, uh, and it was still while I was doing my GCSEs, and everyone else doing it was doing their A levels. So I already felt quite special pretending to be a grown up and not having to wear my uniform. Um, and we had like a proper big camera, and it was HD, and it was like the first time I'd seen like some HD stuff on a monitor, and I was losing my mind about it. Um, and we made this little film every week, and it got nominated for First Light Film Award for Best Screenplay and I'd had a hand in writing the screenplay. Um, and then we won and we came up to Leicester Square and went to this big award ceremony at the Odeon of Leicester Square. It's great. I went to Downing Street to talk to Gordon wow. Brown about young people in film and TV and we had this big group photo. And I was sort of just chatting to everybody there and I was sat next to this woman and I was like, oh, hi, I'm Charlie, what do you do? And she's like, uh, 
oh, uh, I'm so-and-so broccoli. And I'm a film producer's like, I literally didn't even know at the time. Of course, Barbara so, Broccoli, yeah. who's, she's on the board of this yeah. Group, I think. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I noticed a 16-year-old me at the time, I met this amazing woman. And that's how you became the first female Bond. And that's how I became the first female Bond. Um, so, that was all very cool. I've lost where, what we were talking about. Well, I, I suppose, in a way, I was curious about that that moment of when you realise what it involves and how to do it. And as you said, yeah. until then, you'd never met anyone who worked yeah. in the industry and had no sense of it. But it sounds as if very quickly you got a real sense of that. Yeah. But through sort of merit and kind of putting something together yeah. like that, almost kind of a, a fast track kind of into that world yeah. and sort of seeing how it worked. Did that directly lead to anything or did things go on pause? I mean, it was a useful thing just generally because I was like yes I want to do this and having that on my CV when I was very first starting out was really useful but I was still only 16 and every time I tried to I was like I'm gonna apply for some runner jobs uh, and they were like you're not <laughs> you're not 18 yeah. you can't drive what, <laughs> what are you doing um, so I sort of wrote to a lot of people tried to get some work experience there was still nothing filming in Dorset at that point and then I did A-levels that were all, I decided I didn't want to go to uni and I did A-levels that were all sort of a bit sort of not very sort of academic ones. I did theatre studies and photography and English and used it as two years to watch lots of things like Doctor Who Confidential and watch lots of TV and watch lots of films and try and... Relate it to what school works yeah, somewhat. Yeah, try. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of very weird things I ended up writing about in my level exam to try and like make it interesting. For this qualifies, right? Yeah. This is, yeah. 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 And just as I was about to do my final level of exams, they announced that the Richard Curtis movie, The Boat That Rocked, was filming the next town over from where I lived. I was like, right, I'm gonna. <laughs> so I wrote them a letter um, saying, hello, I'm local. I know all the places. Please can I have a job? And they gave me a job. <laughs> so whilst doing my A-level exams, I'd go to this island, Portland, in Weymouth every day, get on a boat with 100 extras, the crew and all the cast, and spend all day filming on this boat and talking to people like Bill Nye and trying to be really cool about it and not being cool at all. That's really exciting. Who did you write to or...? I just wrote like a general letter to the assistant director department, I think. Yeah. Um, and they phoned me and they came down before they started filming to look for some local extras. And that was sort of my tryout day was running for them on that day. And yeah, like they obviously did okay. Cause I'm like, I can work on the movie. So what do you be... think they saw in you? What do you think you did? I mean, I make excellent tea. Um, and I had a lot of energy. Don't have that energy now. That's all gone. Um, and I was just very keen, I think. And she knew the local area very well. Could drive. Just passed my driving test two days before the job started. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was an amazing thing to work on first. Cause like kind of Richard Curtis, like British comedy royalty, and all the people in the films, like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Tonight, yeah. and like all these it's amazing, an amazing cast. Yeah, and. All just stuck on this boat together all day. It was kind of 
Were you really out there? Yeah, like the cage in was the, moved yeah, into the boat kitchen. Just on the boat. Yeah. It's quite, a, as comedy's go, it's quite claustrophobic. Yeah. And so you'd gone from something which you were heavily involved in, something quite small scale, yeah. to something you can't really think of much bigger in yeah. terms of, you know, <laughs> in terms of the industry here, yeah. the Richard Curtis movie. Did you, were there things about what your career might look like that were revealed to you? on that first job that you either were pleasantly surprised by or perhaps a bit, oh, I don't know about that aspect of, of I working. I was like, oh, these days are long. <laughs> these days are long. And everyone's, there's so many people. And I sort of clocked producer, like saw what producers and execs were doing. I was like, okay, you, you guys are in charge. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, but just everyone was really nice. It was, I think it was a really great first thing to sort of work on because everyone was super lovely and encouraging and the people I met on that in the assistant director's department got me jobs on other things for quite for about a year and a half afterwards until I sort of ended up sidestepping into production and films a bit uh, I managed to get another film in Dorset called Tamara Drew great um, which all shot like 10 minutes from where my parents live it was brilliant <laughs> that's very convenient what are the so odds convenient well not really very high um, I mean, now there's a lot more filming in Dorset, like Broadchurch is shot quite near where I'm from, and uh, this week's episode of um, Electric Dreams is shot in Poundbury, which is Poundbury, attached to yes. my hometown. The eerie Prince Charles they project. They added some plants, I think, but that's what it looks like. Really? It's really creepy, that place. How it seemed like they cleared everyone out. Is it quite It's quiet? quite like that usually. Right. Um, it's a really strange place. So it's becoming slowly a hub of yeah, of, of slowly. Um, but now, obviously, anytime and we have any visitors when I'm home, they all want to go to Broadchurch, which is of course a fictional place made up of various bits of Dorset. So it's like, come on then, let's go see. It the is cliff. picturesque, but given the subject matter, it's, yeah. it's an interesting thing. Oh, I want to go there. <laughs> is this where this happened? Yeah. So it's um that's quite fun, but at the time there wasn't much being happening there, so. Being able to do a couple of movies and live at home was wonderful <laughs> and really interesting. Um, but I'd sort of decided that I really, all the stuff I really loved was telly stuff. Um, so I was sort of trying to push my way through to telly and I got some running days on Gavin and Stacey on Barry Island Beach on the last series. <laughs> which was really lovely and fun. And that's was like, oh, comedy, brilliant, great. Um, and I was still living at home and sort of commuting and staying at friends who were at uni because all my friends were in their sort of first and second years of uni at this point, thank helpfully scattered throughout the UK. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I kept applying for jobs in Cardiff because I really wanted to work on Doctor Who. And I had an interview for the Sarah Jane Adventures and I didn't get it and I was devastated. <laughs> And then I got this mysterious phone call a few weeks later saying, can you come to Cardiff for an interview? And I didn't know what it was. And I wasn't bolshy enough to ask at that point. So I went to who Cardiff. Who doesn't tell people? But fine, I mean. <laughs> so I went to Cardiff and had an interview for Doctor Who and got the job and moved to Cardiff within a week. And it was a year-long contract. <laughs> Obviously, Were you pinching yourself? Absolutely lost my mind about it because it was like this... I'm 20, this is, this is ridiculous. Um, and it was Matt Smith's second series, so the second series of Stephen Moffat and that group of people, and 
it's just the most exciting thing that's ever sort of happened really and it was like I've been desperate to work on this show for so long and now I'm going to get to spend a whole year of my life doing it and had they remembered you from the Sarah Jane Adventures yeah, they interview they put me into the Doctor Who interview because of the Sarah Jane Adventures Doctor Who interview so um, quite glad I didn't get the Sarah Jane job yeah. in the end and again it's probably hard to remember because interviews kind of go past in a blur but do you have a sense of what you were able to demonstrate to them to get on something like that, which is I was quite aware that impressive. I needed to like come across like I knew what knew my stuff about Doctor Who, but not to the extent that I actually did. <laughs> so you want to be? I will be a great knowledgeable asset, not somebody yeah. who will be paralysed with admiration yeah. and talk to everyone. Yeah, which actually is a daily struggle in my life, anyway. So <laughs> um, trying to play it cool and just be kind of you know. I'm just really good generally I can drive oh yeah I know what a Dalek is yeah fine no big deal yeah yeah it's all fine <laughs> you can never like dumb it down and be and pretend to not know things you do no, like are those guys are they Cybermen those guys or <laughs> I can't I get them mixed up I'm sorry this is the TARDIS yeah. um, no so I knew that the very first thing the person interviewing me said was like we're we've worked this production team like oh we worked together quite a lot before but we've never really watched Doctor Who so we don't really know much about it do you sort of have a decent working knowledge I was like yeah 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 at least yeah you know I think it's fine I can sort of know what I'm talking about (laughs) um but it was quickly apparent when I started that it was absolutely fine to just love it yeah because so many people working there do and that's great yeah um and being in on the secret world of Doctor Who is most lovely thing <laughs> it's like a little club and you're just kind of everyone know you in cardiff and you just be like oh, i'm working on doctor who and they'll be like oh yeah we can fix your iphone straight away for you come in <laughs> wow so it's a kind magical, of a magical thing in cardiff um, its own secret concept. yeah and because you do a different episode every few weeks and it's a different alien planet and there's different guest stars it stays so fresh over a year and exciting and the first one we did was a christmas episode with michael gamble in it and I walked onto the set that they built and it was snowing and I was like, this is incredible. <laughs> and like seeing the TARDIS for the first time just absolutely blew my mind and I had to go sit in a dark room for a few minutes afterwards. Well, I have a question which I think is probably irrelevant now. Um, <laughs> do you ever think about, I think what you did, just getting on with it is, is, mm. is amazing. But as you said, you had lots of friends at university and some of them might have been studying film or TV, perhaps. Yeah, quite a lot of them Did, Have you ever thought about that and regretted it? I imagine not. Not really. I mean, the one, it's more of a... It's weird. It's more of a social thing that is my regrets in regards to not going to uni is that everyone I know that went to uni has a group of friends from uni and I've got not really a group. I have lots of separate little groups that I've picked up kind of along the way. So socialising is hard because I have to encourage people to get to know each other because I want all the people in one place so bring them all together they you don't all know love each them. other yeah <laughs> and it but so that is sort of I don't regret not going to uni at all because I think if you want to work in this industry you still have to come out and be a runner yeah and if you need the three years of sort of trying to figure out what you want to do a bit and living away from home and stuff fine great but that's not for me I don't feel like I missed out on parties or anything because yeah. that's not really my bag um but yeah, I've never really regretted it at all, actually. Um, I stand by my choice. <laughs> Good. Well, I, yeah, it would be hard to argue with that, mm. I think. 
It might also answer another question, but you might have other programs you might want to sort of include in this. But would you say that's the program you're most proud of working on? So far, yeah. I think I'm at the stage where I'll hopefully be producing my own shows soon, and I'm sure when that happens, those will be the shows I'm most proud of. But I'm proud that I got to work on Doctor Who, and I'd love to go back in charge one day. (laughs) That's very much on the sort of bucket list, but just having it as a thing that I did as something I really cared about and I really enjoyed it is nice because it would have been a bit of a disaster if I just hated every second of it but it was a brilliant brilliant year of my life so I do that's definitely the so far that's the thing I'm most proud of doing but ask me again in a year okay (laughs) and um I guess League of Gentlemen might, might be something but are there are there other programs in your bucket list things that you would love to be involved in working or indeed kind of running one day um, I mean, there's not sort of specific programs like League of Gentlemen is, I'd love to be working that, but at the same time, knowing that it's a treat, I have completely unspoiled treats coming up yes. is so exciting. Um, that just some, I have a bit of a thing about trying to save some stuff for myself to still enjoy it. Yes. Um, and I go to the theatre a lot and that's, that kind of is that for me it's sort Safe of thing space. I don't work in I can just enjoy it and completely not think about anything worky about it because you watch TV and you're like oh there's that person yeah, that's I know that. why that's happened that's yeah. why they're okay um, but having something just keeping some things as like a little special thing and a lot of American TV is that for me which I do watch probably more it's slightly more American TV than British TV at the moment um, but it's more sort of think if you do this sort of job you have to it has to be fun still and if you spend all day reading a bunch of scripts that aren't very good and go home and watch some really serious dramas not really gonna <laughs> so comedy does kind of keep an American comedy especially is kind of a little special thing that I just kind of keep as fun and I have to read a lot of books for work but I still always have books for fun on the go because yeah. I just think it's important to keep that thing so League of Gentlemen is one of those things that is going to be a special it's treat. A precious thing. Yeah, and literally a precious thing. <laughs> well, yes, of course. Wow, I didn't think I even realised I was doing so that. So strong. So strong. <laughs> um, so you talk about your special American comedies. Yeah. What What are some of those? Um, I mean, there's a lot. I really love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Parks and Rec has always been one of my absolute favourites. Um, there's a new show called The Good Place, which just yes, on Netflix here. Which I'm enjoying. I sort of binge the first one, and then yeah. hey, it's on Netflix, which just makes it a lot easier. Yeah. So yeah, it's good. It's quite. I think it's quite maverick with its storytelling because they kind of, in an episode, they'll get through stuff that any other show would take a season to do. And they, they are just, turning like, throw it away. through plot. The, it's really brave. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Because when I first watched it, I thought this could be what I think they call America a miniseries event because yeah. it feels so narrative yeah. and I, I like comedies where there's ramifications week on week because yeah. there aren't that many of them um, but I thought oh, they burnt through it and then without spoiling anything recently they just burnt through yeah. a, 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 an insane amount of plot in one episode I was like wow that, that is it. brave because <laughs> great you almost feel like they're sort of setting themselves some possible yeah. challenges as if let's write this episode but the world's going to end tomorrow and yeah. who knows the current situation yeah their current leader maybe it will exactly <laughs> um the starts big warm positive silly stuff i really love 
Uh, and then I'm a big fan of Master of None. Yes. Um, which is just so smart and funny and heartwarming. And series two made me want to go and live in Italy. I started learning Italian after watching the first Jungle series <laughs> two. <laughs> uh, it's not going well. Um, and there's this Australian show called Please Like Me. Yes. I'm, on... So although I've not seen Buffy, seen I, I have seen quite a bit of that. And okay. it's, again, interesting, yeah. I think. And I think it takes a little bit of getting into. It's on UK Amazon Prime. And it's just has a really lovely set of relationships in it that are really interesting and changing all the time and all the characters are very compelling and interesting and it's just funny but also completely heartbreaking at times yes um and that's that's what the sort of shows that i really really love and i've sort of it's one of those things that i sort of started watching i hadn't seen anyone else talking about it and then i started telling everybody and now like everyone here at the office has watched it and we all kind of love it and my family have now watched it and it's he's such a unique character yeah and there are lots of unique characters in it so you never really know where yeah. it's going to go i read recently and you probably already know this that it was originally conceived as a drama yeah which i can see but it's so funny yeah. when it's funny that i'm glad i that think wasn't the case. other other countries seem to be slightly better than we are at the moment in allowing a show that's comedy to be a bit dramatic like girls on hbo it's called a comedy but really it's a drama with some very funny characters in it and a lot of dramatic stuff happens over the course of all those series and it's by no means perfect but as a 20 something woman who's watched it since the very day it was available it's really speaks to me and i think you can any that's kind of tonally is really a sweet spot is if you can be very very funny but actually have a lot of story and character and plot development and things that really draw you in because that's the stuff people really care about it's like people watch friends and the fact that it's a comedy kind of probably draws you to it in the first place but you stay because you want to know what happens to ross and rachel and that's really great and i think we probably need to be a bit better about allowing our comedies to be that in the UK because there's a lot of not allowing that at the moment I think which I find quite frustrating as someone trying to get stuff commissioned. It's part of that around kind of character investment in the way that you probably couldn't be invested in a character who's completely funny all the time because yeah. there'd be no other dimension to them. Yeah because you have to have um, Mindy Kaling said a really interesting thing at a kind of there was a panel that was her and Lena Dunham and Genji Cohen who does New Black, and she was like, I go for relatability over likability. So, as soon as a character is just kind of purely a joke or purely completely serious, like that's not relatable. And if you can relate to someone, you're, you're on board with them, it, you can see all their flaws. Like Hannah Horvath in Girls is that character, like she does the most ridiculous, insane things, but you totally see where she's coming from, and you can tell and you can see why. So at no point you're like, oh, I hate her so much because you're like, I get why she's doing this. Okay, fine. And that's that's quite important to me, I think. And the shows that do that really well are the ones I really connect with and will happily sit and watch the whole series in a matter of hours. Does Fleabag do that for you? No. No. I don't it, connect with her. Is it too overtly comic in like, 
staging in some senses. I think it's like I can, I do get why people love it, and I think for me, it's just it lacks a layer of warmth that I need in a show to connect to it. Even when I watch a show and I'm like, I'm not, that's not me at all. As long as I can sort of see why someone's doing something, I can kind of get it. But for me, I can't, I can't get that with Fleabag. Um, I like to play more. That's the good thing about comedy. It's completely subjective. And exactly. I love having debates with people about comedy <laughs> because it's really interesting what people properly hate and properly like. If you're, you know, you're reading a lot of scripts yeah. and you're, you're developing a lot of things, um, do you, I know you try and keep those things separate and keep them safe, but does it influence the sort of decisions you make and the things you want to take forward? Quite possibly, yeah, I think so. I mean, the majority of stuff I watch is with strong female leads and I think we need more of those in this country who are interesting and dynamic and not the kind of crazy woman stereotype which seems to be around quite a lot at the moment. I've been reading this really interesting book. It's all about kind of how a lot of female characters is actually the kind of male version of a woman which is quite interesting um, it's called you play the girl it's written by a film critic who was working in america for ages and she sort of talks about the idea of women that's created by a lot of male writers and a lot of female writers as well because that's what they've been exposed to their whole life and she's bringing up her daughter and trying to find things that she can show her that are kind of more dynamic and portraying a more realistic woman or are more interesting and, and she talks about how little girls don't like Alice in Wonderland because Alice is a difficult woman and that's really interesting. <laughs> I've never really thought of uh, in what way is she difficult just because Cause she's because she has agency. You think so yeah. yeah and it's really it's really interesting um I'm only halfway through the book but it's just that's the sort of thing I'm very aware of when I'm developing shows and like I love Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because the lead, all the women in that show actually are complex and interesting and flawed, very funny and smart and a lot of women really love those shows and want more of those shows. Um, there's a drama called Orphan Black which BBC America made and it's just finished. I loved that show so much and I loved so many, knew so many people that loved it as well because it's really complex, interesting group of women in it and the people that orbit them are all really interesting as well but these sort of sisters in the middle of it all played by the same actress and she's incredible they're all so different and interesting and smart and they never stop kind of exploring and asking questions and fighting and that's you don't see that very often and it's really interesting and lovely to see feels as well about getting to scientific about it <laughs> but I think a lot of the things you're talking about fall within the Bechdel test uh-huh. sort of sphere yeah which I think is interesting when you sort of talk about women either playing versions of men or yeah. kind of male yeah. notions of sort of women and how rare it is to see the, I think that the, the, their most significant test is are two women in scenes yeah. alone not talking about men or you know kind of other yeah. sort of characters I mean, the Bechdel test is... Alison Bechdel's a really fascinating woman in her own right, and there's a musical about her life based on her autobiographical graphic novel, well worth a watch, it's coming to the Young Vic next year. Um, I've got, like, five different tickets booked. I'm very excited. Um, the Bechdel test, like, isn't perfect, because some stuff I really love does not pass the Bechdel test. Yeah. Um, and 
but it's a really good benchmark for going has this script got two or more women in a scene talking about something other than a man yeah and so often the answer is no and it's not like i don't think it's a kind of by the book thing because some stuff has brilliant female characters and doesn't pass it but it's quite a good thing of going just stopping and checking in with yourself and I think it's quite a good thing for writers to sort of have in their heads I don't I haven't got any projects in development that don't pass that test do you do you have the backlog that we're all sort of suffering from in terms of things to watch you must (laughs) you must get recommended a lot of things yeah like I'm quite I'm at a point now where I've watched most of the backlog that I wanted to watch um and there's still some things but the only way I'm managing to not create more of a backlog is just watching stuff as soon as it comes out like every time Netflix drops a new show yeah I watch it just straight away usually if if I like it great it's just gone in a day if not then it's never watched again um I think my biggest blind spot which I would like to do something about is the West Wing Ah, okay. So I was never particularly bothered that I hadn't seen it, but then the musical Hamilton came along, and I know there's a lot of West Wing references in it. Right. So you want to deepen your appreciation I need to of something you already like. My appreciation of something that I already have quite a deep appreciation for. <laughs> um, so, and I think just as so many, it comes up so often in sort of my general kind of exploration of TV programs that other actors have been in or people have write, written on or directed. Um, it's just it's such an intimidating prospect. And like, I mean, this is coming from the, the person that watched all of Gilmore Girls in three weeks. So I can't, I, I a, can get yeah, through it. It's but, a similar task. They're only network hours. So yeah. probably what, 42 yeah. minutes. So I think it's going to happen at some point. Yeah. You know, um, it's there for maybe when you there. get the flu or yeah. something. Um, so it will happen at some point. <laughs> um, I do really want to watch it um, for many reasons, but I think it is my big blind spot, probably. It's a partial blind spot for me in that I watched the first two seasons when they were mm. broadcast on Channel 4. And then I can't remember, but I think I'd spent through a period in life where I just wasn't at home watching TV yeah. at times. And then just never got back to it and yeah. sort of anecdotally heard it got less good. <laughs> but I feel, but then yeah. I never saw any of the Alan, like, Alder series. Mm. And I'd like to see Alan Alder playing a bad guy, yeah. which I think would be fun. Of course, that'd be lovely. Um, there's lots of things I've caught up in the last few years. Like, I watched all of House. Wow. After originally being that's quite a tall order. That must be 200-ish episodes. Yeah. I was initially like, it's the same thing every week. Why is anyone watching this? But then I actually got into it and I was like, oh no, these characters are quite interesting and I'm very much on board. Um, things like that. I'm about to do all of Six Feet Under, which I've been sat on for a while. Do it. Yeah, I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, just in case, you know, the 100th person. Happening. Um, just because it's that, that group of actors I've seen pop up in like loads of other things. Um, and that, that's kind of the next one on the list. Um, but yeah, I don't have that many blind spots. I'm very good at watching large amounts of TV in a very short, short space of time. Do you think it's important to be a watcher and lover of television to work in it? I think so. It really annoys me when people were like, oh, I haven't really haven't watched anything. There's quite like, a few around. I know, I, that's I find it deeply puzzling. It's like, 
you work in your job is to create things to entertain people but how can you entertain people if you don't know what's already entertaining them yeah and it's hard and competitive yeah if you don't love it what why why why, why, (laughs) you could there are there are less stressful things to do yeah and i think you know it's such a everyone's we've all worked hard to get here but it is a real privilege to do this for a living like making up stories is what i was doing as a five-year-old and i'm still doing it now and it's fun and it should be fun and it's I quite like the idea that there's. I will one day make shows that will speak to fifteen-year-old girls in the way that all those shows I loved when I was fifteen will matter, spoke to me and matter to someone and make pe- the idea that someone thinks a show is their show is lovely and important. Actually, TV can be quite important and mean a lot to people. And I think you just why work in it if you're not gonna enjoy it and feel that way about things as well and talk about it all and know what's happening yeah I think (laughs) that's fair enough is there anything you're working on at the moment that you're able to talk about that you're excited about um I mean nothing's I can't really talk about anything specific um I'm working with lots of excellent young women and I'm excited by that and excited to be trying to find a way to get them on screen because they don't see themselves on screen and um, I think it's really sad that for anyone to grow up and not see something on screen that they identify hard with. Um, back to the Alison Bechdel musical, there's a song in it called Ring of Keys and this nine-year-old girl has a moment of like kind of purely identifying with someone that she sees across the room and she's never had that before. And it's the Ring of Keys moment. And there was this thing on Twitter about what was your Ring of Keys moment. Um, and there's all these amazing answers. And I think it's that. It's like everyone deserves to have that Ring of Keys moment. You know, everyone is different and everyone identifies differently. And it's really hard figuring out who you are already. Like, if you don't see anything that you relate to on screen as you're growing up, then how much harder is that? I'm jealous of little girls now having Ray in Star Wars and female Ghostbusters, because those were the things I loved when I was a kid, and I was like, oh, why do they all have to be boys? When girls came along and I saw four imperfect women on screen being funny and smart and self-obsessed, I was like, oh, oh, okay, there are people like that on TV, great. And I think a lot of that's, for girls, for a lot of people, has that exact effect, and, you know, Elena Dunham is a sometimes controversial figure, but she's still achieved a huge amount for young women who haven't ever sort of identified with anyone before or seen the imperfect woman on screen written from a woman's perspective. Um, Leslie Nope in Parks and Rec is always quite big because she's just warm and positive no matter what what happens. Um, Now I'm not that person but I like that idea of that person. And she's smart and funny and knows what she wants. And, and fierce as well. Fierce. Which I think, again, it's a type of character mm. that I think that there are no obvious kind of originators yeah. to it. It's a sort of warm-hearted, yeah. morally centred person, but someone who also is not yeah. like a pushover. Yeah, I think that's really, really nice. And I always liked all the female leads in the kids' shows, like Dean Headmaster and Queen's Nose and The Worst Witch who are a bit naughty, but smart and the hero and 
still the one that kept going. I like that. So the women you're working with at the moment, or indeed yeah. anyone you're working with, how how do you how do you find them? Are they, have you got other mechanisms for sort of discovering people beyond just sort of submissions? I've found people because I've liked their blog online. I found them through Twitter. Um, playwrights, people who write books. I quite like people who ha- haven't written for TV before, and taking them and working through some stuff to help them up for TV. Um, and Twitter's like my most useful tool. Um, I internet stalk everyone I ever meet before I meet them, <laughs> usually through Twitter. Um, and it's just everyone, there's so many interesting people. Um, like I'm really into science, so I follow a load of scientists. There's so many interesting things that have given me inspiration that I found through that that I wouldn't have found otherwise. And being able to just have a little look around on the internet and see what people are doing. There's so many people making their own content and that isn't just like making sketches on YouTube. It's writing and even just tweeting. Like there's so many people with a voice on everywhere that it's really nice to be able to just sort of have a poke around Twitter and find some people. Um, and people who already have a following because it's, it's different because it's because the comedy one and the drama one, the comedy one is obviously quite Edinburgh-centric so even though that's not really where people come from and actually the people I've been finding for comedy are people that I've sort of been lurking around online and seeing some stuff and then reading some stuff and just thinking oh actually you've got I really like your voice and you've not quite got it down on paper yet but I can help with that um, and then drama-wise it's a lot of books so it's a lot of finding books before they come out and meeting agents and publishers and stuff and trying to persuade people that they should come work with us, <laughs> um, which I do with a lot of tea and cake. I watch a lot of theatre and musicals and admire different sort of ways of storytelling and I think that's something that's always in the back of my mind. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks for... Thanks, Campbell. So, right, you're welcome. <laughs> Thanks. Suddenly got very formal. Thank you. Um, uh, no, but thank you for joining us. Is, is there... Are there any words of wisdom you'd like to share for anyone who's listening to this who might be having their own ring of keys moment? <laughs> um, if there was one thing you could share about just kind of getting in or sort of developing a career, what do you know now that you didn't know that you wish you had? I think I was, I've always subconsciously done it, but you can't foresee that it's so competitive and there's so many people wanting to do it and trying to get in. You can't guarantee you're going to be the absolute smartest and best person in a room for a job but you probably can guarantee you're the most well-informed the internet is a beautiful thing and you can watch everything and read everything and internet stalk people and be a complete nerd about stuff like every job I've ever gotten is because I'm a huge nerd and I think passion for programs is really important and comes across when you meet people and I like those people <laughs> I think they're the best kind of people and I think all the best jobs I've gotten is because I know my stuff and it's hard work keeping up the knowledge but it's really important and useful and always is going to be useful so it's not a waste of time that is a great note to end on good great thank you thanks